This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Like, ideas are easy. Like, it's like the funniest thing when, like, people post up, like, on a design community or something. And they're like, I have this really cool idea, but I want to, like, get feedback on a mechanic. And everyone's like, can you just tell us your idea? And they're like, I'm afraid you're going to steal it. But, yeah, like, ideas are easy. Everyone can create ideas. No one's going to steal your idea and then spend two years of their life developing it. Why play the heroes when you can play as the dungeon? Buckle up. There's a ton of things to learn in this conversation with Ben Nielsen of Bandit Camp. You might need to listen to it twice. We talk about where Wicked Ones came from and what it shares with Blades in the Dark. We also talk about what makes it different. We discuss Relic as well as several of his upcoming plans. Stick around to the end. We kind of dive into what types of partnerships Ben works well in and what types of partnerships he struggles with. This episode is possible because of the support of our patrons on Patreon. A big thanks to some of our newest patrons. Matt Sherwin, Michael Underwood, William Musall, Robert Sabbath, Justin Whitman, and John Snowberg. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Ben. Do you love to unplug and play games around the table? Greetings, friends and floorheads to Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you love tabletop gaming, you are in the right place. Listen as Craig delivers in-depth discussions and interviews with game designers, creators, insiders, and experts. Learn from the people making and playing the role-playing, miniature, and board games you love. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today we're talking to Ben Nielsen from Bandit Camp, the designers behind Wicked Ones, Relic, and the new Undead Awakening. Ben, welcome to the third floor. Hey, thanks for having me. So Ben, unfortunately, I'm sure you've been on more than one podcast, which means you've been asked this question. I don't even want to know how many times, but there was a day where you knew nothing about grabbing a sheet of paper, writing down some numbers and pretending to be other people. And then it was put in front of you for the very first time. Can we go back there? Yeah. Like that's actually a cooler way to ask it, I guess. Um, uh, and then like every time, you know, you revisit this question, you get to kind of talk about a different part of it. Um, I'll start out i guess by talking about how i was a uh kind of like a closeted fantasy geek in a super small rural town you know um like my uh uh, like there was like 25 people in my class so there's like 12 boys wow yeah like we all grew up together yeah from age five to age 18 we're just all together and all of us are farmer kids you know and we're all into sports and stuff and like half of them are like hunters and whatever and so and uh, you got to fit in like or it's going to be just brutal so but um at some point my uh 
my uncle, uh, he was kind of a cool guy. I was at his house and it was really boring there for whatever reason. And he was like, hey, pick up a book on the shelf. And uh, it was uh, Raymond Feist's uh, Magician the Apprentice. Yeah. So kind of old school fantasy stuff. Right. And uh, it just like I was maybe 11 or whatever at that point. And it just like grabbed me. You know, I was like, what is this? This is incredible. So I became like a library junkie. You know, I'd hit the library up and come home with like six books and, you know, just go, go through them in a week or two. And and like uh, the whole time I'm doing it in secret. I'm not telling anyone, you know, like right. my buddies are giving me a call. It's like, Ben, what are you doing? I'm like, ah, oh, you know, video games and baseball. That's it. That's it. It's not <laughs> hunting deer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no elves <laughs> over here, man. Like, yeah. So like, I go check on the cows, Bye. uh, back to my book. <laughs> so like, that was, that was me all growing up, you know? And, uh, like finally I wound up in, in college with a lot, a lot of different people. And, uh, I ended up, uh, having a roommate who was running like a D and D game, you know, and, uh, he would, he would be playing it like at the table. And, uh, this actually kind of is, uh, like my first experience with, uh, not to, not to, uh, uh, talk bad about like an old friend of mine, but, uh, my friend's friend was uh, running the game. Right. And, um, uh, the, the, they were playing, uh, third edition 3.5 actually and um you know i was just watching i was like oh man that's fascinating like i gotta get in on that and i gotta unveil my fantasy secrets and whatever and uh i finally i finally did it i made a dwarf ranger which i thought was like like looking back that's kind of cool like you don't really see a lot of dwarf rangers you know like i was i was obviously not caring too much about the mechanics and wanting to do my own thing and uh but like uh like a couple of sessions in the gm just like railroaded us into this like weird like um uh, like our characters were changed into like half Yuanti something or others. And like, he was, he, it, it, that doesn't really matter. But like, I, I got like the full on GM railroading experience pretty quickly. And then that just like destroyed the campaign. But after that, I was hooked anyway. Like it was like a, like a really bad first couple of sessions, but I was so into it. Yeah, I'm I'm not one of those guys that does like uh voices at all. Like I don't I don't like I get really embarrassed, you know, trying to do accents and stuff. So I don't do them when I run. Like I'll explain that, you know, this guy has a really deep whatever accent and uh but I don't do that. But my very, 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 very first time I was like, I have to be like this dwarf. So like <laughs> I was trying so hard to to like be the dwarf. And Your throat and, like, hurts. Yeah, it was like so cringy and like no one else at the table's doing it. <laughs> like but I thought that's what role playing was. I thought I had to be like an improv actor. Yeah. So it was, it was well, rough. you had nothing to learn from. You had 25 people in your whole town. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. funny. So you're in college, you're exposed to Dungeons and Dragons. You realize, you know, like what the hobby is. And, and obviously it sounds like you were hooked, um, though. It sounds like the seeds were planted in, in reading fantasy uh, before then. What was the next non dragon game, Ben? So when uh, you yeah. look back now, what was the first game that that wasn't D and D? Like it's got to be, it's got to be Vampire. I'm pretty sure. Like I mean, we we played several D and D campaigns, and then also like like not just D and D. Um, I think at that point, uh, uh, D twenty Star Wars was out. And, uh, yeah, so someone was running that. So it kind of moved away from fantasy and into sci-fi and actually like oddly, like, uh, I was probably 17 years old when I saw star Wars for the first time. So like, I was like fantasy geek forever. And I thought like star Wars was going to be dumb. And then I watched it and it blew my mind, you know, and I was like, <laughs> Oh, that, that's amazing. So, and then, uh, yeah. And then anime too. Like I was never like an anime. I'm still not really an anime guy, even though I live in Japan, which is a little bit odd, but, uh, like, I was never really into anime too much and just thought it was like Dragon Ball Z that was getting popular and whatever. 
uh, when uh, when I was growing up. And I was like, why are people watching this? And uh, or Pokemon and stuff. Like I couldn't really get into it at all. I'm 40, by the way. So like I was graduating around the year 2000 from high school and stuff. So uh, anyway, uh, uh, like star wars was that d20 star wars is out and i was pretty into star wars then my buddy was like huge in the anime and then he introduced me to uh princess mononoke and you know watching uh, the ghibli movie right that was my that was my entrance into anime i didn't uh, understand anime until i saw princess mononoke and then i was like oh i get it now oh yeah so okay, it was like the exact same experience for me like i was like making fun of it a lot and i was like i can't do that and there's no way and then i watched that movie it just blew my mind i was like this is amazing yeah. and beautiful and like why was i oh. yeah and then then i do then and I realized that there's a couple of different types of anime, you right. know, and I still don't really like Dragon Ball Z too much and whatever. So, right. but, uh, okay. So like that, that said, um, from the D and D, you know, socks, D and D the third ed that we were playing, uh, my buddy like started running like this thing he called the everything game where we took any D and D product and just mashed it all together into this just like crazy confluence of, uh, nonsense, unbalanced, whatever, whatever, whatever. And like, I guess that was like moving away from fantasy the first time. Then that led us into playing vampire. Um, but not it, like we, like and myself too, I've never been one to, uh, uh, to use other people's fiction. And uh, my group was never like that either. We always kind of homebrewed our own stuff. And, uh, you know, Wicked Ones is based on Blades in the Dark. And the first time I played Blades, I didn't use Duskwall either. Like, I, I don't know why. I'm just like, really hesitant in playing in other people's sandboxes. So, uh, uh, yeah, anyway, that everything game was just like a mashup of that. And then the the vampire game was kind of the same. It's like we're playing Vampire the Masquerade, but like 90% of the reason to play that system is the deep lore but we didn't use any of that stuff we just made up our own stuff yeah so uh so when you look back on it because at some point ben you transition obviously and are inspired to start creating and and you know obviously the person who was creating four years ago five years ago is different than the person i'm talking to now but as an adult you look back now at those formative years where you're playing different systems you're playing the everything game where do you think really the seed to go to do more than just play or just run a game came from. So where did you, where, where did you decide? Like, I think I want to make something. Uh, I mean, it's still like the same friend, I guess. Um, his name's Luke. Uh, and he's actually made his own game that I'll plug real quick. It's called fairy trails. It's a uh, powered by the apocalypse game. And he just kind of made that as a little hobby too, a little while back. But, um, yeah. Uh, I guess the the very first time we wanted to create a game, me and I live in Japan, and actually he invited me to Japan to just come and stay for a couple of months and hang out. And I ended up staying here long term. I've been here for like 14 years now. Yeah, so it kind of you know just caught on to me and like kept me here. And then, yeah, uh, so and I, I I'm here and I have the family and the house and the whatever, and I'm not really moving back. So this is my home now, right? But uh, anyway, and he lives here too. He lives pretty close to me, which is kind of interesting. My university friend just living down the road in Japan, right? right? So, uh, but we used to we used to always uh, we we didn't have many role playing friends here. It was it's kind of hard to find uh, other role players in the expat community, and. Uh, also like there's a lot of like leaving so even if you get a group together like a year or two later they're gone and then like right. so it's really hard to keep it together so we did a lot of like one-on-one -on -one role play or we would like we were doing like gm list stuff before that was the thing really right where like one of us would be the gm and run a gm pc and like whatever so that, that was kind of cool uh i guess to to 
like have that experience or whatever. And uh, as we were playing, like we kept like taking some system and like adapting it to what we wanted to do, but it was never fitting. And then then finally, it just you know we were we were we were both running uh, English as second language schools. That's what we did uh, professionally until I became a full time designer. He still runs a school and it's pretty su- successful, but. Uh, um, like our job's not so creative, you know, like uh, it's rewarding in teaching people, but we don't really get to express that creative side. And I studied design in university too. So I wanted to use those skills and kind of develop them. And uh, yeah, that just clicked at some point where, or where we were like, why are we doing this? Like, why don't we just kind of make up our own, our own, our own system? And then uh, we got a little bit serious about that. And then like, and then like, wow, we should like make this thing and sell it because like, it's like really great. And like, we're like geniuses. And then actually we're just making like the crappiest fantasy heartbreaker there is. And, you know, like, and that's what we ended up doing. We ended up, we're like, what we need to do is we need to take like D and D fourth edition, which we were into at the time. And it's, it's like combat system or whatever, even though like, I, I know it's like, it, it was fourth ed was like kind of widely hated, but now it's everyone's like little secret darling or something. Like, oh no. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's, it's the craft beer of D and D now. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. That's an interesting way to put it. And like, I think Lancer kind of makes it cool in 13th age and stuff and whatever, but like, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, fourth ed was cool. Like it shouldn't have been called D and D, but like the tactics mini game it had was pretty cool. And we we're like, that's cool. But the role-playing stuff sucks and there's nothing else, but you know what we do like, we do like storyteller. So we just mash these together and then make our fantasy heartbreak and then like we're like we should take this you know out there and like we start to like put it out there and it's nobody needs another fantasy game like so <laughs> yeah but like that was like my my good like test run to like know what not to do i uh, guess and, and uh get all of that like fixing of D out of my system before i like reapproached and did a, i i think a better job so uh, you know obviously at some point wicked ones um uh, come, comes to life or starts to be born. And we're going to do a whole segment about wicked ones. But before we do, is there any starts and stops? Is there any ideas or attempts that you swung and miss before you started really putting your heart into wicked ones? Is there anything you think you might go back to? Um, so thinking about some of those early times when the two of you were. Ah, oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, all like Frey was the name of the game before, and you could probably go find that if you really wanted to. And uh, like, I'm kind of proud of it. Like, I like it. If I ever wanted to run like a D and D type campaign, like I don't think I would run D and D. I think I would run that. And uh, my friend actually, he kind of continued developing it, but never like fully 100% finished it. But uh, uh, yeah, that was always. Um, like during during like that time we were really focused on that but right after that uh i had actually kind of invested some money in that game right getting art and stuff and um lost that money and we never made that back and uh (laughs) so i was a little bit bitter about that but and then that kind of soured our friendship for a little while too like uh, just like i'm actually not a great person to design with on a 50 50 level and uh yeah it's just my personality why is that you know i don't know that's a great question i like everyone's different but i don't work well, very... hold on one second though ben did you oh, decide yeah. that yourself that, that you're not a good 50 50 partner or you've been told that i'm trying to trying to understand that my experience i guess with luke who's one of my best friends showed me that like i need to be in the driver's seat when i design interesting yeah and when i'm not like it would come to a head a lot 
and it was hard to make decisions and I didn't enjoy the process. And I know a lot of people really like that process, but I really didn't enjoy it. And like talking about Wicked Ones uh, just a little bit, uh, the consulting designer on that is a guy called Cass Ray and we've become really good friends. We met through the, the Forged in the Dark community and uh, uh, he kind of came out of the project and then ended up being the consulting designer. And then he ended up developing Undead Awakening. And like for Wicked Ones, I'm obviously in the driver's seat and then like, uh, he can give ideas and I can just reject them or something, right? And then when he did Undead Awakening, we flipped roles. And then that's okay for me too. I can be the consulting designer and it's his thing. And even if I think it's a bad idea, like it's not my reputation, you know? So like, okay. But when it's like 50-50 and it's a bad idea, it is my reputation or something. So sure. Yeah. But I mean, that's not just, that's not just, um, uh, design like that's kind of most things i mean i ran my own business for like seven years and stuff right and um i was uh fairly actually very interestingly i was a teacher uh english as a second language teacher and i developed my own system and textbooks and everything and then i could like teach other teachers how to do this and stuff and I, my relationships with other teachers is really condescending. Like I, I have a hard time. Yeah. Like I have like a, a really hard time managing people. I kind of suck at it. And especially when they're doing my, like the job that I can do better than them, I think. Right. So I work really well with artists because I'm the worst artist in the world. Interesting. And I'm just impressed by them. And I become their biggest fan. Uh, I'll talk forever later or whatever about Victor Costa and his work on Wicked Ones. And I will just hype them up like crazy. But other designers, it's hard to do. So, yeah. Yeah. And that same was true running an English school. Like uh, the teachers, my relationship with them, like I would be quite critical. And um uh, yeah. And then, then, um, with the other staff, <clears throat> for example, like, uh, uh, like a receptionist or something like my relationship with them can be great because they're doing a job that I can't do. Right. So, so one amazing self-awareness, Ben, uh, I, mean, I, try, I guess I like, this <laughs> there's a, a lot of people that of, like not going well and finally realizing why, <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you're, you're in a situation where you say, you know what, I'm not good when the when the scenario is this and I need to avoid that and, and seek what what I, what is good. And it's fascinating how you've noticed it in both in multiple aspects of your life. So it's not just isolated to the design piece. Now, what comes first, Wicked Ones or Bandit Camp? Actually, like if I could like cycle back around real fast, sorry. Like I did want to answer the previous question about like yes. other ideas. I got like so many, you know, everyone does. Like ideas are easy. Like it's like the funniest thing when like people will post up like on a design community or something and they're like, I have this really cool idea, but I want to like get feedback on a mechanic. And everyone's like, Can you just tell us your idea? And like, I'm afraid you're gonna steal it. But yeah, and, uh, like ideas are easy. Everyone can create right. ideas. No one's gonna steal your idea and then spend two years of their life developing it you know like yeah so like i got like awesome ideas like i i i wanted to make a game called mickligard and you're playing as uh the like a uh, varangian guard in in uh, uh byzantium you know like uh and then you're like these like kind of Vikings that are caught in this uh, huge social problem surrounding the emperor. And then you're at way out of your element and you're like a new arrival unit or something to band yourself nice. together. And then you only know each other or whatever. And like, I want to make that game. Like that sounds awesome, you know? And like, I mean, I could just go on and on about all these different cool. I, I have this other one called church mice, which um, I've always been a little bit um, interested in uh, the idea of playing, playing little things that are kind of, 
humans a little bit anthropomorphic i guess but they're not like big mice as humans so i mean obvious ones in that genre is mouse guard by luke crane which is pretty cool and the art's amazing um i like burning wheels of system and stuff too but like uh uh like a little bit even better i think is like mouse ritter like that game's awesome right and it's a good game yeah. so like i mean they've already kind of done it but like i wanted to make this game where you play as like church mice and your whole job is like solving the problems of the parishioners you know like you're 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 the one that's like and and i mean i don't know about like yourself or the audience out there but like i'm i'm an agnostic so i'm not really like a strong christian so like i think it's kind of interesting if the church mice are getting like no credit for all of the credit that's going to god like everyone's like god is blessing us and things are going well and the church right. just sitting there like it's all us you know and like i want to make that game and uh so yeah alice games has got a game called magical kitties um which is i vaguely uh, know about that maybe yeah okay. It's it, it, I mean, it's it's geared towards your first role playing game. It's something for my eight year old daughter and I to play together. But there is a there's it's a it, there's a bit of a subversive uh, layer to it. Exactly what you're talking about, because you have the humans and the adults in the adult world and it's all shit. And, you know, they're messing up and they have problems and you're these kitties that have to solve the problems, but not get not expose okay, yourself. Yeah. I, right? I, read, I read that description of that game. Yeah, that does ring a bell. Because like, when I read that, I was like, oh, it's like my church mice concept or whatever. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's like pretty good. And that's another thing you got to learn. Like everyone has already done the thing that you want to do, like right. making like yeah. uh, like I released Wicked Ones. But there's a game called How to Host a Dungeon by Tony Dowler, which is kind of like a solo experience. I, it's hard to even call it the game like it's more like a simulation of a dungeon but it's really cool but you know like people have already done this and then right before my game came out another game called for the dungeon came out uh by jordan what's his last name i always forget his last name palmer Paller. or uh sorry for forgetting his last name but for the dungeon it's like a pbta comedy game where you play as minions and stuff it's different takes and whatever like i i yeah. don't think there's a dungeon keeper game like that was my inspiration right but but everyone's kind of like you know come pretty close to your concept no matter what it is because there's so many games these days so yeah if you're ever out and about and you see you see magical kitties grab it it's it, there's nothing innovative in it from a mechanical standpoint but the one th there's two things one i thought the concept was really clever um but what is really interesting, and I think from your design background, you might find this as well, is they do a very good job of presenting the game. So uh, it's not just a how to play role playing. Um, and and it, I'm not going to this is not a podcast about magical kitties, but <laughs> check it out, because I think you'll appreciate how it, knowing the audience, how they present it. Um, I have a sneaky suspicion you'll enjoy. You may never play it, but it's one of yeah. those one of those many books yeah. that you buy and you never play. <laughs> I mean, for, for what it's worth, you just sold a copy. Like, I'll go grab a copy after this. Like, like, yeah, like, I'm, like I'm always looking like every designer should be doing that every time anything appeals to you. I mean, it's it's not just about money, but it is good to go out and support other games and stuff but like you should be like building your library and stealing you know voraciously so like because everyone's already thought of the cool way to do it and play tested it for you you know so like you don't exactly. have to go through that process go go check it out and like figure out the thing that like they do and then adapt it to yours and like we're all just stealing from each other and whatever like everyone everyone always gives me credit for these like cool ideas and stuff like uh someone that wasn't familiar with blades was talking about like how cool progress clocks are and i'm like <laughs> yeah that's like like a hundred percent harper and like all even before that it's really apocalypse world and like they're right, it's, it's the bakers yeah yeah, yeah. 
so I mean, and, and and it's kind of a basic concept, but really great implementation. And then like of all of the Wicked Ones concepts, that's the one I didn't touch. You know, like I tinkered with everything except that because it's so good. Yeah. So like, yeah, no, we're all just like taking stuff from each other. So That's 100% correct. So guys, the Insider Insight series is my opportunity to sit with designers, developers, artists, writers, and creators and learn how they approach their work. I try to understand their process, inspiration, and the methods for crafting their creations. And that's what we're going to do with Ben. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about Wicked Ones and the new thing on Kickstarter, Undead Awakening. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Writer's Room, where you can find all sorts of adventures, antics, and escapades for the 7th C TTRPG. I'm Zoe Jackson. I'm Evan Ackley. And I am Patrick Keefe. And we are here to tell you the stories of 7th C. If you enjoy actual play podcasts featuring adventure, drama, and swashbuckling heroism using music and dynamic sound effects, then you've come to the right place. Not only do we bring you stories from our 7th C gameplay, we also discuss the mechanics of the game in special episodes called Notes with the Narrator. To learn more, our Linktree link will be in the bio, and that will help you find us on your favorite podcatcher, as well as support us through our many different platforms. Won't you join us? I missed the initial Kickstarter for Wicked Ones, but I ended up picking it up on Drive Through RPG when I went af- soon after I discovered Blades in the Dark. Then I was on a huge Forge in the Dark kick, like everything. This was all brand new world to me, um, and thought it was super super clever, um, but hated I could only get it in PDF. And uh, so, for those of you not familiar with Wicked Ones, Wicked Ones is a Forge in the Dark tabletop RPG where you play fantasy monsters raiding human lands, hoarding the gold they loot and building a dungeon to protect it. Your notoriety lures increasingly greedy and powerful adventurers to your dungeon. And can you stave off the inevitable onslaught of heroism that your notoriety brings? So like super cool concept uh the the uh, dungeon video game is the thing i think of immediately which you said was a touchstone for you but we're, we're going to go back to the bandit camp museum and we're not going to look at wicked ones we're going to do is go to the very beginning of the exhibit which is the first time the idea pops in your head so where if we trace things backwards in hindsight where was the first seed planted yeah i like this is just years and years and I mean I, I don't know like any exact moment but like years and years and years and years before I uh, ever encountered Blades in the Dark I had the idea for a Dungeon Keeper game and every time I play games I always settlement build you know like every single time I'm like all right we gotta like hunker down and make a stronghold or it's like we gotta build this village up and everyone's like we gotta go adventure I'm like yeah but like let's make windmills 
for these people. Like, so I don't, I don't know. Like, I just have that in my, like, when I play video games, I play Paradox interactive games, like you're opening your yep. first Alice and stuff. And I like, I like that kind of game. I, I mean, I like, I, I liked old games like Settlers as well and stuff. So there's like a nurturing thing i want to like grow a little something and then yeah. see how it grows. but like it's always sucked in games to do that because like there's like almost no mechanical support for it so everything's like really hand wavy so even when you succeed it feels like gm gifting and stuff um i yeah like and then also the gm wants you to move on anyway like right like yeah like they really want you to go adventuring and then like get on to some like cool story instead of building another windmill or whatever right so like and then that, I had that <laughs> the town like, has flour it's okay <laughs> yeah like i had that experience like several times and i guess young me like dungeon keeper resonated so strongly yeah. uh something about the humor in that game and its presentation like the the ability to create the dungeon if uh, like for people who aren't familiar with the game um like you know you're building like this dungeon and there's just like core in the middle of it and you're playing is this kind of like you know uh like uh, omnipresent uh godlike overlord. overlord right so you're that you're the clicker hand basically right and then that's clever right working the like the fact that you're just moving a hand around and clicking on things is actually that's your presence and then you can also possess the creatures and then that's building mechanically a way for you to switch gameplay modes and it works within the fiction too you cast a spell that allows you to do this thing and this is all like super video like early video game design that i thought yep. was like really 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 uh, uh innovative and this is like peter molyneux right so obviously it's really innovative and has influenced you know just hundreds of other games but uh yeah so then you're seeing your dungeon from the inside or whatever so like that all like stuck in my mind like really heavily like how that's a strategy game, but you're also able to wander through the dungeon, and then the dungeon is so real because you can do that. Um, and that settlement builder part. And then, like, another part of me that always was interested in, like, evil gameplay. Like, I mean, I think everyone at some point, or maybe not everyone, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm, you know, kind of messed up or something. But, like, it's like, <laughs> like, a lot of people like to play, like, edgy characters or people like, you yeah. know, like, Gray Zone and stuff. And then, like, sometimes it's just like, I'm straight up evil or whatever. And it never really works with groups and stuff. So that, that was always, like, a concept I wanted to explore. Uh, so, okay. So I got, like, this dungeon keeper idea just rattling in my brain forever. And, like, really, I was like, how can I play, like, a D&D campaign where we play, like, dungeon keeper? And then that's not going to work. Like, you're going to have to build your whole own subsystem to do it. And it's just going to be probably a terrible experience. Yeah. So that, that was in my in my mind, like, for just years and years and years. So did finding blades and reading blades make you go, oh, shit, maybe this is how it should be done? Or did you have systems yeah. before blades in mind? Or No, like, and I've told this story. Like, everyone, we talk about Wicked Ones a lot. So everyone's like, how did Wicked Ones become a Blades in the Dark game? So I'll do the short version. But, like, yeah, uh, basically, like, you, you uh, play, or even if you just read the book, like, they're monsters, right? You're playing scoundrels. And um, we found there's, there's a difference between these, like, uh, the evil monsters, you have to buy into playing evil orcs or something. And not all orcs are evil, but you got to play evil orc to, to, to build a dungeon and raid and loot and whatever. You got to buy into the fact that you're like really evil. In Duskwall, you kind of don't need to be evil, but you do have to be a bad guy and you have to be gray zone at best, right? So you got a little bit of leeway, right? But, but basically, I think I kind of give this a direct 
I, I say it so much better in the book uh, or whatever, but it was like a, just a thanks to John Harper for just like kind of, you know, giving us Blades in the Dark and Duskwall and like it's already the game about monsters and like showing how that's done. Yeah, allowing people to like play the those kind of more evil or ambiguous, yeah. morally ambiguous characters in a way that's still like you um there's social pressure at the table to play the game in a way that moves forward and like keep the story moving and not just focus on yourself and not send things off the rail. Right. Right. And then there's that whole like trope in the RPG community of like someone doing something. It's like, we're negotiating with the King. And then someone's like, um, you know, taking a leak in the plant over here. It's like, why are you doing that? It's like, that's what I would do. That's what my character would do. (laughs) And then everyone's like angry at you for doing it or something. Right. So I mean, that's like a dumb example, but like, uh, yeah, like you got to just kind of like toe the line, like follow the plan or whatever, because there's social pressure. But, um, you know, Blades does a pretty decent job of allowing you to like lean into your traumas in that game because they reward you with XP later. And like we, we do similar uh, things, but uh, there's like meta currency in, in Wicked Ones. Um, and uh, uh, like when you play into kind of your like monstery aspects that send the raid mm-hmm. uh, plan awry, you get rewarded for it. It's interesting. I think the psychology there that like when you're doing something that the system is giving you explicit permission to do and rewarding you for doing so, everyone can get on board. Yeah, that's why you kind of need that system support, right? I think to to lessen the peer pressure and then actually have people like they, they, they can accept it. It's like, you're doing yours now. And that means I can do mine later, you know? So uh, I think blades kind of taught me that. So as soon as I played blades, like immediately, like I, 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 I didn't have it in my mind after we, I, or I abandoned Frey. I was like, I'm going to take a break. I'm just going to run some games, like get into some systems and like really like just play a lot of this stuff I've been reading that I haven't had a chance to. And then pretty quickly after that, like I play my first session of blades and like at the end of it, I'm like, well i'm making dungeon keeper the role-playing game like it's like <laughs> it clicked like so hard I was, I was like this is happening now so what's fascinating to me about that ben is i fully anticipated you to talk about blades being a mechanical inspiration but it sounds like it was just as much the theme and and the feel of blades that inspired you as much as mechanic mechanically it did Absolutely. Right. And oh, I, those go hand in hand that like mechanics support the theme. Like you can make any like I think a lot of people fall into that sort of trap of like making a, a just a set of mechanics that they kind of like and then slapping a, a setting on top of it. They don't really support each other or they're like disconnected and stuff. And then that's uh kind of like a hard way to sell games too right like if you're a new designer and um, people aren't buying it for your system or or for the setting itself you got to sell both at the same time right and it's like man this game sounds so cool but the setting is so crunchy that i just can't get it you know or it's like or the opposite it's like this this little mechanic sounds so interesting but my god this setting sounds just terrible and like you got to sell both right right um like yeah so like melding those together as much as possible like like wow this this setting sounds really cool and then they look at mechanics and like and it's like oh this is how it manifests in the mechanics and you know i mean lots of games do that of course but i think harper like it's kind of like a master class in doing it no it's question like, yeah 
and like and like that also presents its own struggles when you're when you're hacking for forged in the dark for it that you have to decouple duskwall from it because it's buried deep inside of it and people don't know that so well there's actually a couple of cool guides uh, uh up on itch if you ever look at that like hacking hacking forged in the dark or something and they'll talk about that it's like what stuff you need to cut away but like i was like an early hacker of it right like i think wicked ones was like the second or third game up on kickstarter for forged in the dark and it came out pretty soon after like uh scum and villainy and band of blades hit which like uh that that team had uh, the advantage of playtesting alongside harper and whatever and and like kind of yeah so and then also like bringing in like uh, a lot of just like blade like if you read those games like a lot of the srd for forge in the dark is just like written into that game right so yeah um yeah yeah but uh uh like i would like you know, I was there in the early days kind of situation, but like, it was like the wild west, right? Like people didn't know what they were doing. And there's so many golden cows in the system that you can't, you don't know what you can and can't get rid of. And then the answer, oh, there's such a cool, if, if you're interested in forge the dark hacking, uh, there's a really cool Excel or uh, Google sheets document floating around. That's like, it's like how forged in the dark is your game. And it talks about, it's like, does it have position? Does it have a crew? Does it have turf? Does it have, and like all of the, the things blades mechanics hit and then it like lists them off and like wicked ones hits these buttons like these other games hit these buttons and like it's it's neat to see that is cool and we and we learned and harper told us this straight up that we should be just hacking off everything but like but like in the beginning people were reading it like it was the bible it was like the new way to play or something and like we had to stay closer to it but you don't need any of it you take the things that you don't like i like at at some point it it kind of loses like uh like we're deviating a lot from the topic i guess but like with wicked ones i i and Cass as well together really we tinkered with it for like a year and a half or something before release and it's so different than what base force in the dark is that some people coming into it are are they struggle with the differences in mechanics we've changed so many little things that now they have to relearn all of those things and it almost loses the value of being forged in the dark like being part of one of those like communities means that people can easily adopt it right and um there's a little bit of a wall there right but we've tuned it to our game a lot and then that's also why our next game relic is an extension of our work on forge with forge in the dark and wicked ones where we've left that label behind because we right. no longer find it useful right and to be honest we already have our own community to market to we don't need it but like like i i was just following harper's great lead at first and then i think i've grown as a or we we i guess i should say have grown as designers and have more confidence in doing our own thing right well i mean the thing about blades is you know and i've said this a few times john's a friend of the show he's been on a few times he's a great guy but uh, blades is and i've seen him talk up the show yeah <laughs> oh have you? Yeah. <laughs> that's nice he's super kind to us um but he he's built a game where the gears are very tight everything is meshed together everything turns the everything else and i can imagine walking in there and saying i'm gonna change this little piece yeah you can't just change that little piece can you because everything else is connected to it and it's really interesting that you say that because like as part i think not to speak for uh harper at all but like i think he even kind of like lays this out pretty clearly is that it's actually not it's actually the opposite of that or the intention is the opposite of that that blades is modular and you take what you like and like like a lot of people might not even know that blades has prison mechanics 
right? Like it has this whole fleshed out subsystem that nobody, like, not nobody, but like most groups never touch, I think, like through right. their campaign. And uh, like, and, and then they could just leave it. And then a lot of people don't like that subsystem too, right? Like that because it like it's so removed from the group play aspect. And now it's like this solo thing that's like not really involving the group as much or whatever. Uh, like not to criticize that subsystem or whatever, but like I, like I think that kind of maybe would surprise people like if they played a campaign of Blades in the Dark and then someone's like, there's like prism cancer. Oh, seriously? Really? Wait. Like, yeah. And then you look at it, it's like, wow, this is really fleshed out. And so Blades, Blades collapses kind of elegantly back to the fortune roll where like if you don't know what's going on, right. like you don't have to break open the book and you can just roll 1D, 2D, 3D, 4D or something. Uh, depending on your, your feeling, like, is it pretty likely? Okay, here's 4D or whatever. And uh, then just move on. And so, uh, like, he also kind of says that in the very beginning of the book that it's 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 hard to play Blades, like, at first. Like, it's like a change in perception of the way role-playing games work and the relationship between GMs and players. That dynamic is really different. Like, the meta channel is super open when you play Blades, and, like, a lot of it is talking about the game, not staying in character, like, kicking yourself out of character and talking about position and effect. And then like convince like i remember um uh one of our play testers was a friend of uh Cass's and he kind of came into the uh uh the game with a D mentality right and uh, i was trying to explain that to him that open meta channel right and how like it's okay for players to like disagree with the gm and um yeah like there was like at one point i i, I can't remember where it doesn't even matter the whole story but like i was pretty convinced i was a player in that game alongside him and castles running and i was really convinced that castles wrong about position and effect and like and i was like, strongly, so? like like he he uh, i was thinking that we had like much greater effect and i think he wasn't wanting it to and oh, i thought gotcha, it was very okay. justified and he wasn't really wanting to agree with me and then the other players agreed with me and then he broke because we're playing the game together it's not his game that we're playing we're all playing it together and there needs to be like a final decider and stuff right but like ideally everyone has pretty similar authority there and that it's okay to tell the GM that they're getting it wrong, that the fiction's not their fiction, that it's our fiction. And it's like, you're, you got it wrong in your head, what's happening. So, and then like, and then like, we, we, we Cass and I have already kind of drank that Kool-Aid, you know? And then like that other guy had it and he didn't really understand it. But as soon as he saw it, he was like, this is fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah, he's like, we can like, like tell the GM what's going on instead of just the GM dictating the fiction at us. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, you know. Uh, yeah, that, that, that was kind of an aside there. Like, it's just really interesting that you said, like, how fine-tuned Blades is, because it is, and all of those, all of those systems sing really well when they, when they, when they're all played together, but you can also just cut parts off that you don't like, and he encourages you to do so. so. Yeah, and I guess what I, I guess I wasn't thinking about cutting it off as much as, you know, it, it, changes have a ripple effect right in a forge in the dark game right so you make one change to one aspect of it and you have to look at everything else and which which is obvious in wicked ones that 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 happened like i actually like want to say that i think that john lied to us a little bit like actually (laughs) like 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 actually yeah it's like not so easily as hackable as you think it is or as as like like, I mean, I, I think that he probably on the latter half of writing that game 
like was kind of writing that section about hacking it and like telling people and encouraging people to do so. And then, but he deeply understood his game. So for him, it was very easy to hack it. Right. But like, it's really not. And the community struggled with that for like a year or two after its release. And that's why we didn't see like a rush of games, but there was a tipping point where like people like the community, the hacking uh, community supported each other a lot. And people were like throwing around lots of different ideas and giving feedback. And then once you have that to kind of work with now, like, things get moving so it went from like a couple of games and then now it's just like the floodgates are open you ever go to like that itch page that john like uh has where he curates all the huge list of fortunes art games it's enormous right and there's all these different kinds of games in different genres but uh like cycling back to wicked ones though like of i mean i i haven't played or read every forge in the dark game but Wicked One's mechanics really, really tightly work together. And it's actually like mechanically complex. A lot of people think that story games are are mechanics light. And that's not true at all. This isn't really, I, I don't know if we call this a story game. I want to I say fiction first gaming. Sure. So yeah, uh, as a broader category, right? And story, game, story games are kind of uh, mechanics light in general. Yeah. Like, like Blades is pretty mechanics heavy, actually. Right? And uh, Wicked One's more so like you have to understand almost every part of the game or at least every part of the dungeon and how they all work together because it's this big rube goldberg machine and that if you don't understand it it's not very satisfying to build it right you're just like like it, you're all in the dark like i don't know i build a trap or something i don't really know what traps do but i'm gonna build one so yeah so that's if there's a section in the book that's like a, a session zero session one and the entire structure uh, it's a recommended session zero session one and the entire structure of it is tutorial mode to like lead players through like learning each of these little things that they need to know and then by session two or three maybe they're going to be okay uh, going back like uh harper puts in blades that it's okay not to know everything in the beginning and that it's going to click for you around session four right it's, it's going to be rough and then like but that's okay like just ignore position and effect everything's risky standard right don't use it just everything's like kind of uh not not so granular and then introduce that later you know like yeah and then like as as you encounter things that you want to engage with right maybe you never roll entanglement maybe that's not something you have until later when like okay now everyone's yeah. comfortable now let's introduce this one so yeah, like yeah you could definitely layer kind of problem it. yeah he like yeah. like it's a it's it's definitely especially changing from more traditional systems to right. blades is, is yeah. a pretty big hurdle like for me when i was running it like the very first time i didn't know if i was running it right and i've role played yeah. for years right like i think a lot of people have that experience like am i am i doing this right like <laughs> The game, the game, I, 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 it can be overwhelming. And mm. I think it's more overwhelming for grognards like me that have been playing for 30 years than it yep. is for people I've introduced Blades to. Um, I think it's one of the easiest games to teach people that have never role played before. Um, I, because there's a board gamey aspect to it, but the way that everything works together, you know, and it doesn't have to be making the voice of the Dwarf Ranger. Right. Because of that meta channel that you mentioned, like also fiction first game. Like, that's really true. I think like the board gaming nature of it gives people a lot to grab onto. The fact that you choose a crew sheet together puts you all on the same page. That's so, so important that players are all on the same page and moving in the same direction. And the crew sheet does that. It's like, oh, we're cultists. And now we're not. that's not just a label. There's like abilities we're choosing. Right. right? Yeah. So, OK, I can look at these and kind of that's like the, the type of cultists we are. And there's always a great 
grounding in that. It's like, I'm doing this other thing. And then everyone else can be like, dude, we agreed that we're cultists. Like you're, you're, that's, you can't really do that thing. The game's not about that or whatever. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Like, um, but that, that stuff I think can pull people in that are new, but fiction first gaming in general is like that where you don't have to like, at, at least the way I see it, that you, you, you're, I mean, it's called fiction first gaming for a reason, but you're engaged in the fiction first. You're just, imagining a character and what they're doing next and then no matter like what you say that they're doing like as long as it makes sense they can do it Mm -hmm. and that they don't need a mechanic for it in the end it can just be a fortune roll if it doesn't map to anything else so the mechanics are a safety net right and some of them map very cleanly right that oh this maps directly to this but when it doesn't you make it up on the fly or it it rolls back to the fortune roll so fiction first gaming is making that and like mechanics first gaming is like all right what do I do? And you're looking down at your sheet and then like looking at your list of abilities to see what you can do. And then that's kind of like in D and D you're like, I'm in a fight. Hang on. Let me check what I can do. Right. All right. I'm, I'm doing this thing that it says I can do. Right. I've so, got this feat or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just always the easy example, of course, but uh, like, that's just such a huge difference and mechanics first gaming, you need a lot of knowledge and buy into the idea of playing role playing games in fiction. First gaming, you don't, you know, like you just say the thing that happens, you roll dice and see if it happens. Um, I told, I told this story uh, in a, in a, like an email Q and a I did the other day, but um, I think it's kind of a, kind of a nice one. I want to, I want to say it again connects to this uh i ran an english as a second language school for years up until january of this year i went full-time as dev uh tip-top role-playing game dev because you know it's kind of a dream and nice nice change for a change of pace for my career but um i had all these students you know uh and role playing's not so big here in japan and uh none of them can really understand it right like even like you know like geeky culture is pretty big in the states now and stuff but people still like they might even know dungeons and dragons but like the concept is still hard the first time that you're introduced to it right but yeah here it's like a huge wall like people just can't really grasp it and as i'm working like at the english school i'm also working on wicked ones early right and people like my students are interested in like what are you doing or like what's this book like that's amazing but what what is this you end up having to explain it so i would always run them through this like uh if they, if they were interested all my classes were one-on-one right and uh so i would have these like 60 year old businessmen or you know like uh mid-40s housewives or like uh this uh, uh doctors and stuff and uh you know professors or whatever but then also like a 19 year old kid who's uh you know, parents are sending him there to develop his English school while he's in university. So, uh, all these different people, right. All these different backgrounds and they can all grab onto this, like, um, really, really, really simple system of like, uh, you're, you're smart or you're fast or you're strong and assign dice one D two D three D. Right. And then, okay. Now you have, you've assigned these things and, uh, like Japanese people are really like not rule breaking so much. Right. They, they, they tend to stay in line, like follow rules. And it's like, like kind of deeply ingrained in their culture. Uh, yeah. So not to like overly stereotype, there's, you know, like rule breakers and, you know, wild cards over here, but like less so. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, so I, I always love that giving them the scenario that like, uh, all right, so, okay, we're going to play this game and like you have a character. So just kind of make them and stuff. All right. Now you're standing outside this museum. It's nighttime, right? And you got to get in there. Cause like the local, like Yakuza boss, like he's telling you like, get this painting or like, you, you know, I'm going to like your family. So you got to sneak in there and get them. So I'm giving them a reason to go commit crime and I'm giving them a moral out because they have to do 
do it, but like, but they're going to have to commit crime and slip into a role that they're really not comfortable slipping into. Like, and, and, uh, then all of it's fiction first. And all the only mechanics we got is like, is like rolling through, you know, one D, two D, three D, and then having mm-hmm. like a failure, uh, a partial success or a full success. That's all we need. Right. Yeah. And then I run them through a scenario and they just grab onto it. So that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. So let's uh, pretend, Ben, that um, I fly over to Japan tomorrow um, while you're out and about. I break into your house and I find the early notebooks for Wicked Ones Mm -hmm. um, before anybody else saw it. Right. When you were just like mashing at it and just jotting down ideas. And I go flipping through that notebook and I notice something that didn't change. So when I grab my copy of Wicked Ones and I put it next to this notebook, I go, holy shit, that was from the very beginning. So what are some things that were there from the beginning and that despite all of the iterations and changes you made, it stayed the same? That's a, that's a tough question. Gosh, man, that's really hard. Um, I have this, uh, you know, I'm running a Kickstarter now and, you know, that's why I, 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 kind of wanted to be on the show so you know everyone check out my kickstarter or whatever but uh like as part of the kickstarter like there's a lot of downtime in the middle of it right where there's not a lot to do and uh, there's not a lot of, to update people about and uh like i have this idea that i'm gonna start doing from now for the next couple of weeks um of uh, writing like a dev blog actually mm. and it's just like my own opportunities it's like this kickstarter is so self-indulgent like i'm just doing stuff i want to do like i want a cool copy of the books and i want to work with these cool artists and stuff like i don't really care all that much about other people having my book like i just want the it's it's really for me like that's how i design games too i design games for me um it's just lucky that other people like my the way i like to play so uh, but anyway uh i i kind of want to you know like write this little dev blog and dump these like ideas and put a big period on the end of the the or a big exclamation point maybe on the on the end of this wicked one saga so that i can dump all that stuff out of my mind and focus on yeah. relic my next game and uh which i'm already working on and stuff but uh like okay so as part of that like i got um this uh design document like a google docs thing and it's like the game used to be called domain right and it was like the french spelling d-e-m-e-n-s-e and nobody could say it right everyone's calling like demesne or something so uh, uh like i had to change the name eventually like every, all the playtesters convinced me to even though i was like really wanted to keep that name but anyway like i got that dev doc and uh like i'm gonna put it up there and i'm gonna talk about it right and let people see like here's how different it was here's like all these yeah. crazy ideas early on that like we had to hone in on or cut off and whatever what's still there mm, that's pretty tough isn't it um i guess yeah like i don't know like like it's easier for me to talk about what's not there right? well, that's why i didn't ask that question yeah <laughs> right it's like the thing that the thing that had to be there um well so i guess another way to think of it right is 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 what was core Right. So what was something that you didn't let go of? Hmm. So something that got the ball rolling and you said, you know what, I'm going to change this. I'm going to use Forge in the Dark. I'm going to do this, do this. But this is the core. This was there from the beginning and it's there now. I hmm. minions. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Like, How yeah. so? So like that's an interesting part of our game, too. So um, I, I I guess 
everything else has gone through a lot of iteration, so it's hard to say if it was there in the beginning or not. Sure. Like, I would actually have to look at the dev doc to be like, did, at what point did I think about this? Because I wanted to say Dark Impulses, which Dark Impulses uh -huh. are really uh, inspired by uh, Fate Compels, and where the GM can have a push on you, like a stronger push and like a taking away of that player agency, where Blades is all about player agency, right? Right. So like we, we you know, fiddle with that like a lot, and like a lot of Blade players are not comfortable with the GM being all up in your business. So, but it Anyway, we, we found that that worked for us. But uh, anyway, and I, I like that, that mechanic, uh, uh, just a kind of push, push fiction, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But anyway, um, I wanted to say that. I was tempted to say that. But I think that happened like, you know, a little bit, a couple of months into it, like past this very first dev doc. I don't think it's actually in that first dev doc. So, uh, but minions have to be. Like it's, it's, and also the concept that you're playing as a group and not one big bad guy or something. And then that's where right. dungeons that are run, run by one. So it conceptually needs to be a group of powerful three to five PCs that run the dungeon as a council. And then that's a little bit of a switch on most dungeons. Like I don't, I, very very rarely does that happen where you get to the end of the dungeon and it's like, oh, it's like a group of people, right? Like it's always like the one, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, the one big sorceress bad. or whatever that's in charge of everything. And yeah, like very very rarely is it like a couple of people, right? Like it's like, wait, who's the boss here? Like, oh, we're all kind of, it's like a co-op or something, right? Like like that doesn't happen. So, but it has to to exist at the table. Um, that that is core, right? I think, uh, it's 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 changed how that's represented but then also the the fact that like those people are at the end and they have min or those monsters are at the end and they have minions and like the minions are kind of mini pcs that you can slip into that role and play as them and uh they have a little bit like uh we we, we got henchmen i uh is that the word from blades i might be forgetting the term but i think it's maybe henchmen no it's not henchmen it's um cohorts is the word in blades. cohorts yeah yeah and uh um like they're kind of really mechanically simplified into fortune rolls just to see what happens with them right i wanted a little bit more than that and then uh, the mechanics are a little bit more complex but it's kind of a play on that but like kind of core is that you you have this like little group of goblins that you also control right and they're not tied to your pc they're tied to the dungeon they live in the dungeon and stuff and then like during the initial phases like they're going to be dying to the adventurers and that gives the uh, gm a chance to show how badass the adventurers are like because they're and they're, they're they're that's like their turn to narrate a little bit like like players have right. a lot of like narration power but like it's also really good to establish the adventurers as very powerful very scary before you fight them so you need to build them up so like what you want them to be doing is like slaughtering these minions right that the players took a little bit of time to like think about and sometimes they name them and it's like i even <laughs> mentioned the book like try your best to make them faceless because you're gonna grind through a lot of these like, so like don't get overly attached to them because like the gf should be lopping their heads off but yeah so like that's that's rather core um but like okay so like the idea that you it, you have two you have your pc and you have a group of minions that you play as uh but actually, through talking about this, the, the real core, the actual thing that can't change in the game is that you have to draw the dungeon out. Interesting. That, that I wanted to make a game where you draw a dungeon. And it doesn't matter. You can just draw boxes if you want, right? But the mechanics don't work theater of mind. They just don't. There needs to be a physical representation. There's no battle map. 
right? Or something. But there needs to be a physical representation of a dungeon in some form that the adventurers will move through. You so can why maybe was that so important? I don't know. I wanted to make that game. It, it, like, <laughs> like at some point, there needs to be like the one thing that your game ha- is about, and then you build your game around that. And mine is the the fact that I liked the physical nature of building the dungeon and dungeon keeper. And like, I think a lot of gamers have that too. Um, a lot, a lot of people will rush to the end of the level and just move on. They want to complete the game. And then a lot of us would make the perfect dungeon, you know. We just spend forever on it, and like we could have killed the other guys a long time ago. But we're just like, I got to keep building and stuff. Yeah, like that's how I end up playing real time strategy games too. It's just like I hunker down and get really yeah. defensive and make my perfect base. I'm like, oh man, that's just so awesome. But it was actually really easy to end the level. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, like I wanted to be drawing it and I wanted that to be a group experience. And then the dungeon is emergent through that. And we get to kind of like learn together. And the GM has a little bit of control over that too. They throw in discoveries and like things, like things that happen to the dungeon. And like you, like if your dungeon is looking too perfect, well, now there's a river cutting across it and stuff that you discovered down there. And, um, that's the core, like that has to be it. Right. Like, uh, that you're actually going to be building this thing together. And then the dungeons that people post on our discord and the dungeons we've made together and stuff, they're so cool. You know, like all of them, they, they tell the story. Every little room has a little story behind it. And as the adventurers path through it, every time's different. Like, right. like there's like rules for like which directions they choose and then you build locks to push them away from areas and like every single every single invasion will go differently right that's and so then, cool yeah yeah it really is like like that's just like the reason to play the game like i mean playing is like evil characters is really fun and stuff and with the kickstarter i'm actually making a dungeonless mode right uh, like as a little like uh, expanded content that I wanted to see in the end game, like a way to decouple from the dungeon if you really want to. So like here's like a real quick like set of rules, like uh, pretty light, but quick set of rules to decouple away from that and just be the roaming band of monsters that like monster adventures or something. Right. So And then, you know, just go go around and be evil and do evil stuff. Right. So like, uh, OK, I, I wanted to express that in the game. But like really, though, like the like you probably shouldn't play the game if you don't want to build the dungeon because it's it's not the monster story it's the dungeon story the dungeon lives on and that's the premise is like you're a council so if one of you dies it doesn't matter the dungeon keeps going in a normal dungeon when the the sorceress is you know taken down or whatever like the dungeon just probably falls apart into chaos and there's like a power vacuum a power struggle or whatever so and yeah like, that's cool yeah that's like that, that i mean that's obviously core so so I'd be curious, Ben, talking to a lot of creators and designers, um, I always find it interesting and and, it, and, I, and the more I've heard it a million times, well, not a million, I haven't interviewed that many people, but um, it, it sounds like it often ha- happens in the last four fifths of the process where you've got everything's kind of working, you're play testing it, you're changing this, you're changing that. And then you wake up one morning and you take something away or you just Hey, let's try this. And then all of a sudden it sings. And did that happen with Wicked Ones where there was a moment where you took something away or just threw something in and it all clicked together like Legos? Yeah. Um, I mean, like a dozen moments like that, you know, like, OK, uh, yeah, is is uh, Wicked Ones is a big game. Um, it's a big book. It's a big game. And it's tightly wound, you know, m- machine that all works together. And like, you gotta like, you're always like hitting those walls and like things need to click to move forward. Like the big ones, like a lot of that comes from working with Forged in the Dark and like finally it clicking that we can, you know, kind of slay those golden cows and just, just, just eject them 
wholesale. Like we don't even need that part. Uh, I was trying to shoehorn trauma into the game. Mm. Right. And that's like such a cool part of blades where your characters have this limited lifespan. And, uh, uh, like as you stress out, you gain these traumas, you get more cold hearted or whatever. And then eventually your character is just untenable. Like they might still be alive, but they're just not a character that's playable anymore. They're so fucked up. They like that. You just have to like get rid of them. Then that's cool. Like it puts a little timer in your mind that like, okay, these are disposable. Right. And it's like that, um, uh, uh, quote by the, uh, author of monster hearts, I think is, uh, uh, who said it? It's like, and I think she was talking about um, uh, GMs playing NPCs, but it works for PCs too. That like you should pl- you should uh, like kind of drive it like you stole it. Yeah. Right. Like that's not really anything that belongs to you, right? Like throw it away. Like just just like go crazy with it, have fun with it, and then just get rid of it. And like Blades lets you do that a little bit, you know, like, you know, that these characters are sort of disposable or they're heading towards bad ends. The end's almost never good for them. And knowing that up front is really cool. Like, so it lets you just be like, okay, like I'm going to watch. It frees you up. Yeah. There's like, there's like a, uh, I would even, I would even go so far. Like, I, I, I know that John likes the shows and if he ever like listens to this or whatever, it's like, sounds like I'm criticizing him or something. So like, uh, so it's not that I love Blades of the Dark so much and whatever. Um, and I, I really think that the, the, the system is just great for that game and stuff. But there's like this one part that I just absolutely hate is like the rush to the first trauma. And it's like this thing that I wish. Interesting. How, uh, wait, 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 wait. What do you mean that by that? That's interesting. Like, yeah. Like in blades, there's an XP trigger of playing up your trauma. Right. Right. And hitting that you need a trauma. So what people will do is play incredibly recklessly early to trauma out to get the XP trigger huh. to make their character grow powerful faster. And that's like real like mechanics focused and it's dumb gameplay not to. And I always hate that about games when I feel like I have to play dumb to, to like to play my character truly or something. Right. Yeah. And I have to have to fight the mechanics. So like, it's like so clear, like, and gameable or something to rush to that right so it's like i just want to be resisting everything and like like throwing out stress and like i need to just hit that session one when it's safe and then get my trauma so that i can like ping off that and i i understand why he created that trigger but it created such a bad habit and then like yeah and I, you'll even say players say that they like that which like i think maybe me after a long time playing with it like not being a new player with it i look at and as a designer like i look at it and think like i don't like that but i actually think it's like really strong encouragement for new players to drive it like they stole it you know it's like lean heavy into that so maybe it's maybe it's by design right like maybe that's actually good to the to, to, yeah heavily encourage that but uh okay so i realized that like uh, like i was like okay well monsters are going to be developing traumas you know and uh i kind of realized that like and this is like the click moment that like running a dungeon isn't like being a scoundrel in Duskwall, right? You are monsters in a world that is fighting against you and you are cutting out your own little corner of it. But like they are building up stress and relieving that stress with their vice, gambling and doing drugs or whatever. And like like uh, just 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 trying to get by and like building towards a retirement. And it's like interesting where like the 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 good ending is like you're like in a middle class apartment or something like or whatever. Right. Like you barely managed to get out of that life on the streets. And um, 
so yeah, it's about the grind and um, the the stress reset as well is spending your downtimes to reset stress, just uh, play your vice. That's kind of a grind. And like, if you get injured, you got to go get a doctor and like healing that up as part of the grind. And you're supposed to feel that it's supposed to feel like kind of heavy and like, uh, then at the same time, the mechanics are encouraging you towards danger, but then there's also the grind and then the, the piling on of traumas. And like, I was, all of those things I was trying to like shoehorn into monster life. And then like, finally it clicked for me. Like monsters aren't about that. It's not called vice. It's called revelry because they fucking love it. You know, like they don't care. And like, they recover fast. Like you got like the goblin that gets stabbed or whatever. And like a couple of scenes later, he's a hundred percent again. Like the, the injury doesn't wear on him. So that informed our right. mechanics moving forward where we have like this mechanic called bloodied where it's like, you take this heavy injury and then we also have this mechanic called shock which uh is like lighter lighter status effects or something like you get like bashed in the head or confused or whatever but like they recover from those so you roll at minus 1d and then you move on that minus 1d clears and if you like bloody means you get like minus 1d to all of these and if you go through and clear them all suddenly the fact you got stabbed in the gut doesn't matter even though it's like five minutes later and i think that matches monster fiction more that like they're like i lost part of my arm but i'm a monster i don't really care i'm gonna get a crazy awesome like hook on that thing later you know like so yeah that that was like the click moment to make it more about like monsters and less about the grind and we saw that in play testing like people were playing it kind of like blades and like like you know the feeling like they were playing these criminals being ground down over time so it's not about that it's about the revelry hurtling forwards toward this like crazy ending of this little like campaign arc where inside of the game they're building their master plan they're trying to do something nefarious like infect everyone in the region with you know some some disease or whatever it is whatever crazy thing that they had in mind as as the evil bad guy so yeah yeah like that that was like the 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 once we accepted that 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 the game isn't about the blade stress it's about like how like we're we're gonna approach it and it's not about the grind it's about the revelry and as part of that that informed our mechanics moving forward and we could retool everything uh there is no like um uh vice role really it's an automatic stress clear automatic heal as soon as you're done with the raid it's called recovery because you're spending like two months underground that we want like in like maybe base blades like you're like back on the the next score because you need money to keep going like you're injured but you got to get back out there you got to hustle right but like dungeons you got time to lurk you know you need to be like yeah it's not like a constant pressure on the region so yeah like it's got to be that that's a good question like uh uh, it's fun to have the chance to kind of like find that answer (laughs) it, it, it took me a while to like find it yeah but that's what it was so knowing that you like being in the driver's seat and um you know, part of that, from what I understood, what you said is that uh, I can, you know, I can be the um, advisor and I can say, you know what, Ben, this is a really shitty uh, idea. You need to get rid of it. And you can go, well, Craig, you don't know what you're talking about. So, no, I'm not going <laughs> to do that. Or you can go, Craig, you uh-huh. know what? I haven't thought about that. It's great. But you're the one making the decision, right? Because we don't have that 50 50 relationship. Mm-hmm. Do you like playtesting? What's it like talking to other people playing your games and giving you feedback and no pl- every play tester will tell you what's wrong and then they have to tell you how to fix it. And what is play testing yeah, like? There's that kind of axiom, right? Where it's like play testers are almost always right when they tell you something's wrong, right? They'll tell you it's wrong and it's like, okay, they're right. 
Like they feel like it's wrong and almost always they're right. And then they're going to offer a solution. Don't listen to that. Like just ignore the ignore from that point. Just stop listening to them. Don't let it poison your mind. Like because they, they have no idea about like the game enough. They can't give you enough feedback on it. Almost always. Right. Yeah. You, you need really informed playtesters to actually come up with good ideas. So but but they're always right when it's something's wrong, even if you don't like it. And there's that that phrase like, you know, kind of to, uh, in the design community to like kill your darlings and stuff. And and yeah, like, and uh, you, you have to do it. You, you have to kill your darlings. And even this thing that you think is like so cool, nobody else thinks it's cool. You're going to have to listen to them eventually. So that's like a humbleness that designers do need. Like it's. Do it's you struggle with that? I don't know. Like I'm actually kind of like I, I said the thing about the driver's seat and whatever. Um, like, yeah, I mean, I, I maybe overstated that a little bit. Like I'm <laughs> I, yeah. Like when when I, like I, I, I think I internalized that pretty early. Like when playtesters sure. tell me something wrong, they're right. And it always like even if like I've learned that lesson, like I've I've been stubborn and didn't listen to them. for. Oh, but here's what I often do is that they'll tell me. Uh, yeah. Like this is my like dumb ego. And like maybe I'm like a narcissist or something actually but um like they'll tell me their idea or they'll tell me something's wrong and i'll like refuse it and then like two weeks later i'm like you know what i've discovered by myself <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I figured if out if you look to the east yeah. the sun rises <laughs> right. so, yeah so i do that with cats all the time and like I, but like it's become like a running joke where like i'll like bring it up in conversation i'm like you know what like we really do need to change stress or something like that or like you know what like i've I've, fe- I've i've realized that we need to change stress and then then after that it's like there'll be like a half thing i'm like I know you said that a month ago. Like, 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 yeah, 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 yes. I, I know it's like your idea. So I steal from him, like you know, voraciously. That's right? fantastic. Like, yeah, but like, I, but I always gotta like kind of come onto it on my own a little bit. Like I gotta protect my ego somehow. It's stupid. Like it's uh, it's stupid. Like it, it's annoying being aware of that. I guess, but. Well, no, I mean, it's it, trust me, I, it's much better to be aware of it than being that guy. Yeah. So, but, but, but um, like, there, there, there are times when like an idea comes up and it's just like the one, you know, especially when I don't have any answer or it's like we're just banging our head against that wall like for so long. Um, it's cool working with uh, Cass um, as like as consulting designers on each other's stuff. Right. Um, and we developed this lexicon of like uh, our design process and a lot of things like Kill Your Darlings work its way into it. But like, uh, one of one of ours is um, we often talk we often talk about our design process like we're vultures and that, like we're circling it and it's like we can feel it coming feel the answer coming we're hitting the wall and it's like interesting man it's like we need to solve this so, like it's coming but like like give it time to bake and like we'll use like we use these same terminologies over and over and over again and it's like made our own little like like vocabulary for like just to let the other one know very specifically it's like this needs time to bake and i know these are general terms but like probably every design group or whatever will like decide on theirs and like the like we we often like say like you know we're like like we're kind of vultures now we're circling this and we're waiting for it to die to dive in on it and then like as soon as that moment happens like if we're the vultures as soon as the thing we're waiting on dies which is the new idea coming up I'm just fully accepting of it, even if it comes from him. Right. It's like, we've been Got kind it. of engaging with it, but then like, he's like, here, here it is. And he throws out, I'm like, Holy crap. That's it. That's it. And then we can run with it. Right. So. So let's, let's pretend I have a terrible idea. And my idea is, is that, um, 
I'm going to force you and Cass to have to get back into the 50 50 relationship and make a game. Mm-hmm. You have no choice and it's a terrible idea, but I'm going to make it happen anyway. What roles would you play to negotiate that 50 50? So what is he really good at that you struggle with and what are you really good at that they struggle with? I think I think that I'm probably wow. I, I like I don't want to I don't want to like talk forecast i guess but i'm going to i'm going to do it anyway so like they're not going like, to listen anyway yeah. go for it like like honestly like i don't know if he'll listen to this or not so um <laughs> yeah i think that like i'm pretty good at pushing things forward quickly and he's good at slowing it down Interesting. Like, yeah not just development wise but kind of business wise and stuff too like i'm always like hurtling us forward and he'll slow us down and um identify big problems and then like and I inst- like usually i'll balk at it and then you know do the thing a day later i'm like okay yeah no no, no we really do need to uh, fix this uh i i recently like crafted a series of stretch goals for um uh, this happened this i this exact thing happened i i crafted like the series of stretch goals that we want things we wanted to do and whatever i wrote this, like big like blog posts and transparency is really great right um on, on kickstarter and i i i wrote it up without really editing it and stuff and just like here's what we're thinking here's the stretch goals we're kind of considering and here's all the factors that are going into that and stuff and he's and he said to me i i spent a long time writing this up and like he said to me he was just like you're like kind of pulling the curtain a little too much you know like they don't even yeah. need to know that nobody wants to know that like they want like transparency but they don't need this kind of detail or whatever and i'm like no 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 and then like 20 minutes later i'm like all right i'm shortening it and then like yeah and then like i shorten it it's like way better right Right? Like, so yeah, yeah, that's what he's great at, right. Is, uh, kind of identifying those things, um, slowing it down and like, uh, making sure that we, we actually fix the problems. Um, I'm good at throwing stuff at the wall, I guess. Right. Yeah. Uh, pushing conversations. And I mean, my, my experience as a, uh, English, i like, I can talk about this and might make both of these guys uncomfortable, but, uh, uh, Victor, Victor Costa is our main artist. And, um, like right now we're working on some, uh, like a dice set uh for undead awakening and uh making like the dice icons is really hard and we did this already with a a set for wicked ones that was part of the base kickstarter uh um offering and i'm not just promoing these are actual stories that i think are relevant so i i know i keep like slipping it in but it's, it's not it's not it's not what i'm trying to do i don't know if you guys picked but, up he has a kickstarter going yeah yeah like yeah, but, but, like, yeah like like right so anyway go ahead and close this window head on over to yeah uh, but uh so right, like anyway we're grinding through this process of designing these dice and stuff and it's actually really hard right to, to um uh, make cool dice faces that clearly display the information that we want whatever yeah. and i find in like that uh watching Cass and victor's conversations things happen real slow and like things just like don't like I don't know. There, there's no one really leading the conversation, and like it's not really moving forward very quickly. And then today or yesterday, like literally, like I, I, I was going a little bit hands off because it's more his project there. But like I, like jumped into it and like got really involved in it and pushed the conversation forward really fastly. And then, and then it's like bam, 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 bam. We iterated yeah. and we've kicked it out today, and now we got like a, a near final concept. That's awesome. If I don't do that it would be like two weeks from now before like there was any kind of resolution to it. I think. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're, 
<laughs> it's a bunch of gasoline and some candles, and they need a little fire just to kind of get things going. Yeah. I suppose, so, like uh, my experience as a teacher is is and as a like a you know leading group conversations as well. I, I would teach a lot of group classes. I taught in high schools too. Like that's probably part of that, you know, like that experience just being in that. Well, role. And we do that as a GM too, right? You can have that exact yeah, thing right, happening right. at the table, right? Yep. Where the players are kind of stuck in this molasses, and you have to. You know, Chandler kicked the door in and have a bunch of ninjas show up and get shit going. But it's not only that. And then this is part of like my uh, game style and like style of games that I make. And like I can if like if you didn't want to move on to the next question, if you like, go, go, go. I'm listening. I'll tell you. Uh, Yeah. So uh, like. Like I think the blades like often has that uh, GM and players real close in level, right? And like lots of player agency, and it creates a writers' room mentality. But I have found that I uh, like a little bit more GM authority, and I and I think actually most pl- tables play with more GM authority. I agree. Right. Then then maybe the actual perfect ideal version of blades at the table or something, because they're the one that likes blades. Right, the GM has picked the book, and they're convincing their players to play it. And the players don't know the system or whatever, and then like they've bought into it, and the other people maybe haven't drank that Kool Aid. And like when you get like a group of real experienced like like uh, pl- players together, that's cool, right? It'll just like really, really, really go well. But but most often it's like someone will be like, I want to run that Dungeon Keeper game, and they'll pick up Wicked Ones, and now they're introducing Forge in the Dark. To- for the first time and they're having to convince their players to, to do these things. So uh, like, but even, even, even that said, I tend to run my own tables with a little bit more GM authority. And instead of that writer's room mentality, I don't look at it like that at all. And I also don't really look at it as, I I don't know, like as fiction first gaming, I always like to like call what, what, what I prefer and my next system more cinematic gaming and what we're trying to do is create scenes like you would see in a tv show and play out right. those scenes and then move on to the next scene right and then for the players to be imagining what scenes they want to play so uh maybe that's my i have a i have a a degree in broadcasting and, uh, and video editing so uh like i was in university for like six years and i got a humanities degree and a broadcasting degree and a, like six minors seriously like i loved university it was very fun and crazy <laughs> crazy expensive so yeah, like y- sure. young, young me did not understand understand loans very well so right but uh yeah so but i think like that that experience was is is great to kind of pull in now as a designer and stuff uh but like yeah i lean on that like that idea of creating like a cinematic experience a lot and i always think about the the gm is kind of the director right instead of the storyteller absolutely not the storyteller like i don't really want that kind of game it's okay if people do i guess but i don't want that and then the players are like actors with broad authority to improv yeah and then just thinking about the difference like in blades you kind of get kicked out into the meta channel a lot and talk about position and effect and i want to keep us out of that as long as possible until the breaking point hits and then we can go back to the analogy of like the director and you got your improv actors happening and then like the actors just like okay there's a gun on the table and like or whatever and then they're like okay picking up on that it's that now they have to be like all right whose gun is this and they're figuring out together and you ever watch like improv shows or something and they're like really good at like playing off each other's cues and uh, i write that in wicked ones uh, there's a big section about smooth narration and opening the door for other players and when someone opens the door as a player it you're kind of an a-hole if you don't walk through it you know exactly 
Like they're like, I want to make this cool scene. And if you're not going to engage with that, why are you playing together? Right. So like you got to be like open to that and building mechanics that kind of cue that stuff better is good too. Yeah. So like putting, putting like the GM kind of in that role, like as the director and, and um, part, one of their jobs is moving the spotlight, you know, that it's like, it's been on you for a while and if there's no initiative order, like in kind of traditional games and stuff, right? Like it's like uh, the spotlight's been on you for a while. And while you're doing this, what we're going to do is like we kind of pan over and you've been sitting over here quiet this whole time. And then like now you're spotlighting this person. Maybe this player themselves isn't so outgoing, right? Yeah. And like, yeah, they're not going to be jumping in and cutting people off. So like the GM has to be take that away and like or introducing some chaos into the scene or whatever. Exactly. Right? I think that's the director's job. And then also to, at the same time, give them tools to cut the scene and kick it into the meta channel and clearly state that we're in the meta channel. Right. And then that's the actor just being like, cut. It's like, I can't do this. What's my inspiration? You know, and like, or whatever, like to be able to have that conversation to as part of the mechanics. So. And have it built into it. So, so thinking about undead awakening, um, how does this end up being Cass's, right? Does, does, does he come to you and say, look, I've got this thing brewing and, and I, I, I kind of want to mess with it a little bit. And you're like, yeah, that's fine. I don't care. Or I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of how, how you guys went from passenger, how you switch seats in the car. Cool. Cool. Um, well, Cass came on to wicked ones, uh, through the forged in the dark community pretty early on. I, we met on the blaze of the dark discord and, um, you know, I just sent him the document and then he got into the concept, um, he likes board games a lot too. And, uh, uh, Wicked One sits in a nice little gray zone where it's like, you know, 80% role playing game and then 20% board game or something. Uh, like, so I think that appealed to him a lot and like kind of, uh, you know, like blending those mechanics. So, okay. Anyway, like that kind of got him on board and stuff. And, uh, uh, we ended up just talking forever and then we started playtesting and then after that point it kind of just became apparent that we were sort of co like he was consulting designing on it right and then his impact on it it's like we it got to the point where there would be like stuff in the game that i can't say is just mine you know like that's just like i may it might be wholesale cast's idea right yeah so at that point like what percentage of the game is his and stuff right so that was happening organically and um uh i was paying victor uh to make art you know so that's like the early step uh where i got real serious before uh, i was like i'll probably run a kickstarter eventually like i want to do that process and see what that whole thing is like and uh, i want to get paid for my game and um but i was like i also want it to be really cool uh have cool art and stuff so uh start paying for it and getting invested in that and then uh i had kind of a small like uh, I, I think I set my like initial art budget at like 5k, like $5,000. And, uh, I'm, I'm a stable kind of middle-aged guy. And like, I have, you know, had a, a random business. I'm not rich or whatever, but like, uh, I, I had like, you know, some money to invest in this, but I didn't want to get overly like invested in it and have it fail and just be like tossing my money out the window or something. So, uh, but anyway, like I thought the game was going to be fairly small, like, right. Like, uh, I kind of felt like that. And then uh, we hit Kickstarter and uh, I didn't really know what was going to happen. And I don't know, we, we raised pretty decent amount of money. We had about like 1100 backers and maybe $35,000 or something. And that's the, awesome. The thing about if you like, like the thing that a lot of people don't understand so well about Kickstarters maybe is uh, how much cost there is. Like they look at that yeah. final number and they're like, wow, $200,000. 
so much of that is advertising, right? And whatever. Wicked Ones <laughs> and is taxes. And taxes and whatever. <laughs> Wicked Ones is really pure. It's a digital release, and the only cost involved in the whole thing is paying the artist, right? So, like, um, like there's uh, and like there's only two pretty cheap tiers, like a twenty dollar tier, a forty dollar tier, right? And there's no like, uh, kind of like high, higher tiers to in, inflate that price or whatever. So, like, we had a lar- large number of backers, and I think if we had and there's like no print version. If we released the print version, had print cost, you could probably like double that Kickstarter's total to kind of compare it right so like fairly successful i felt right um as that's happening right and like like wow holy crap people like this they really like it up to that point the discord had like 40 people on it and it's just people i dragged into playtesting and now it's like people are talking about it and it's like they, they seem genuine genuinely excited I'm like, all right this is cool like and then uh i was like you know we got to make some stretch goals uh during that process i reached out to bright rock games who made war for the overworld spiritual successor to dungeon keeper and um even endorsed by Peter Molyneux as the spiritual successor. And they got their start on Kickstarter. And then they kind of reached down and like helped me out. Right. Oh, that's Super cool. cool guys. And then we agreed, like, actually they, they were just going to promo for me, you know, like, Hey, here's this thing I'm put push out through their channels. And then, uh, they were really cool and, uh, talking to them. And I was like, well, I like war for the overworld a lot, uh, you know, like, and I listed in the book, like, actually, I think that's probably why they, uh, um, I, I think maybe even said that, that like, it's like on, page two where it's like this book is inspired by dungeon keeper it's spiritual successor worship the overall whatever like i didn't really intend to rope them into my deal but like i think i think that you know like had an impact and uh because i honestly was i like their game a lot and um we ended up working together uh to create a series of stretch goals based around incorporating parts of that game you know and releasing this con as as content which culminated in uh, a campaign setting that i wrote for that game and then that campaign setting that we like, I, I wrote design, but I was getting like their internal documentation to like get like a real good look at their world to uh, like uh, put the fiction into a campaign setting. Cool process, like uh, something I'd never really done before. And then we released it and then all the proceeds to that go to charity. So we've raised, I don't know, like $5,000 for Child's Play Charity just through that. That's been a pretty cool process. So, okay, so that was like one of the stretch goals. But another one was like, like Cass always had these ideas that he was going to work on, right? Like, and he would bounce them off me too. And he has a couple of games in progress and uh, uh, isn't the best at like maybe like grabbing one and going to the end, right? So we kind of talked about that where I push things forward, and but like uh, he'll, he'll like kind of stick on problems a little bit. But uh, uh, I asked him, I was like, well, like it's like a stretch goal or something. Do you want to do something, you know, for the, for the campaign? Because like you're kind of the consulting designer now. And I think that's your credit. We talked about how to credit him in the book. Yeah. And, and then he, uh, he was like, I don't know, maybe. Like, let me think about it. And then he came back and he's like, you know what we never talked about or never touched on because it's like a different thing is undead. Like all of Wicked Ones, like we had decided that like you can have like a, a group of skeletons or you can even say that I'm a skeleton if you want to. But there's no mechanics involved in that. But they really are very different things. And um, yeah, he was like, I think I want to do this. And I was like, that's really cool. You know, and then the initial idea is like maybe it's just a couple of playbooks and one mechanic that simulates undead a little bit better. And then it just balloons into this full game actually like and it, and it is it's an entirely different game entirely different experience yeah like there's no dungeon in it like i i i, I like to compare it to like if wicked ones is dungeon keeper like 
Undead Awakening is like Army of Darkness, Evil Dead Army of Darkness. And you're the Army of Darkness, and you're playing its leaders, right? And yeah, you get to play those. You have this huge zombie horde, and you're directing it around a region, and you're like terrorizing it. And then, but that region's so flexible. Um, it could be like I think one of the maps is like a fantasy kingdom, and uh, another uh, the other map, which is uh, out there now, like to to check out. It's like a uh, cosmic anomaly, and it's like an asteroid mining facility. So we go oh, to space. So cool. It's like cosmic horror, and we actually play tested inside of spaceships like this undead awakening it was like super cool uh, another one that we play tested that's working its way into a map is like a 1980s suburban mall so like it's no longer like a you know hordes in a kingdom it's like you working your way through the mall right so and then the heroes are really different like i think that one of the heroes in that game was like a trucker <laughs> like he was like coming into the yeah like this kind of red nicky type trucker guy it was like our, our nemesis and stuff and it's not like a big knight or whatever but he's just like a badass with a shotgun and stuff and like drives like a big semi around and like messes with us and so yeah it's like super flexible in that way so like that's kind of how it started like the seed was me approaching him about like getting involved i think i needed to open the door for him to feel comfortable like i don't think he could have said it because up until that point, it was like my thing that he was helping with. And then I was kind of saying, like, maybe it's our thing. And then, yeah, like as we've worked more and more at Bandit Camp, uh, this umbrella that we operate under has become our thing. That's cool. Well, and it gives you an opportunity to finally get some printed Wicked uh, out there. Mm. Yeah, it's like always something I wanted to do. Like I live in Japan. And um, I, I said that before, of course, but uh, it's a huge hurdle. Like a lot of people will just, you know, go uh, print some books and like package them in their garage and send them out or something for their first project. That's not really something I could do. And I had no idea. I, like I said, I had no idea how popular Wicked Ones would be. I didn't know anything about Kickstarter and promotion. Like uh, nobody knew me and I might have sold, a, you know, 100 copies and just been done. Right. And yeah, I, I had no idea. So I couldn't really commit to a print run. And then halfway through that first Kickstarter, it's like, we really should have done a print run. But like, yeah, but the game's not even finished. And that's like a whole other thing. So now I'm just going to stick with print on demand. And like, uh, it's cool that print on demand exists, but there is like a quality gap, right? So, and we poured like everything into Wicked Ones. Like, honestly, like all, like there's like, Every single page of Wicked Ones, I spent a long time thinking about the design and layout of it, and I talked about every part of it with uh, Victor as well, like um, visually, I mean. Like not just the game itself. Like the game's like very, I think, I think, uh, finely crafted, and that's that's mostly me and Cass, right? But and then with Victor, just like nonstop talking about the actual visual pre presentation of this thing, and then we get this like, like pretty good but not great print-on-demand copy of it. And it's like a little unsatisfying to have his awesome work, like to not really get its full, you know, spotlight or something. So to get to fix that is really awesome. That's exciting. That's very exciting. So guys, is um, we're going to take a break here, but obviously we've been talking a lot about uh, both Undead Awakening as well as Wicked Ones. Um, everybody who's listening already knows this. Scroll down there. There's the links and all that. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about uh, some of the things that... Um, that Ben's excited about. We're going to talk about Relic, another game that uh, is out there right now for them. And uh, we'll find out what he's been listening to, what he's been watching and uh, what turns him on. We'll be right back. This is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, 
interrupts the show and explains that you should consider paying for the content that you're listening to right now for free. That pitch man explains by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we refuse to interrupt your episode of Tabletop Talk with such time-wasting pleas. We pledge never to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month because supporting content creators keeps the content coming. Even if there is a link in the show's description, and there is, we don't ask you to click it and become a patron. We don't waste time rambling about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting episodes without ad breaks like this, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway... Enjoy this episode, knowing Tabletop Talk, despite being supported by its patrons, won't engage in such blatant appeals for support. So one of the things that I've started doing recently, Ben, on on these shows, and it's gotten a really nice reaction from people, and plus I enjoy it, is um, people like to know what you dig. So, you know, you create, you make things and things like that, but you also consume. So I'd be really curious, is there anything lately that you've just sunk your teeth into and can't let go, whether it be a book or a show you've been binge watching or a game you've been playing? Like, what have you just gone? Holy shit, this is amazing. Uh, if, if you haven't played it yet, if you like PC gaming or uh, console gaming too, I guess, um, it's, it's been out a little, a little while, but you, you should play Hades. Do you know that game? So I've seen that and it seems super twitchy to me and people like people who I respect are like, Hades is a great game. And I want to say I tried it and I was like, man, okay, whatever, which means I didn't get it. So what did I miss? I don't know. Um, like like the it, the design of that game is so interesting i think uh so i don't really play a whole lot of just action games although i do like roguelike games a little bit um and then that game is kind of like action twitchy whatever um hmm yeah like you start the game and you think the game is one thing but it's not that thing. like you think the game is beating the game but like and then it takes you 30 tries to, to get from one end to the other. And generally, I don't know how, what the average is, but it takes a lot to like slowly kind of like level your dude up um, and then like get finally, finally, finally beat it. That's the beginning of the game, actually. Like you didn't know anything. And then from now, things are going to get crazy. And right. uh, yeah, and it keeps it's it it's every every time you play, you play it, you can play for 30 minutes. That's important for me. Like uh, I'm a father and uh, like I have stuff coming into my life to interrupt my, my gameplay. And I can't really get like invested in two, three hour sessions. Like if I can like get it down to like a 30 minute session, it's it's pretty good. Um, like so like that, that's part of the appeal for me. But uh, yeah, like it's really cool. I think how. Um, after you beat the game once, then you can keep going and the game becomes something different. And then they, so what does it become? Well, like you, you keep doing the same path again and again and again, and it's a little bit changes or whatever, but it basically doesn't. And then you get more familiar with the way the path changes. And then you learn how to manipulate that to your favor and make smart choices. And then like the game 
you you there's like a series a menu of things that you can uh, choose to make the game harder. And by making it harder, then you can like level up your meta character more right so like without like explaining all that mechanic basically you're choosing your own difficulty levels and what you're comfortable with with different types of weapons that you're using and then like you're thinking about like different types of run-throughs and then every time you get uh an ability like the very first ability you get kind of defines what you're going to be doing from there and you can't really plan for everything because there's a lot of randomness that's just roguelike right and it just it just nails that formula really well and like i i think that there's like this little level and you beat the little level and at the end of that every little level you get like this level up thing so it's like action little thinking period think about the path forward and then go and then that that like cycle uh i that sounds boring i I think i'm kind of saying it like in a way that sounds like boring but it just destroyed two weeks of my life you know like it was like took all of my time because i couldn't stop playing it there's a thing, Ben, is that, you know, like I said, I, I tried it once or twice. It did nothing for me. And I know for a fact I'm wrong. Right. So every once in a while, because like too many people who I know, like and respect about the way they look at games, I'm like, they love this. So I've missed something. So I've got to go back to it at some point. But I would be curious, you know, as you're playing it, as you're working your way through it. And it sounds like even thinking about the game when you don't even have a controller in your hand. Did it leave a fingerprint on you? Are we going to see some things that you learned watching that game unfold, understanding what's behind that game that you think could end up in a book of yours? Hey, that's actually pretty cool. Um, I talk a lot with uh, Cass these days about like asymmetrical design and how everything doesn't need to be balanced like mechanically, that it just kind of needs to be balanced in like uh, screen time and impacts on the story um as we build relic and we'll talk about that a little bit later uh but um like the the base stats of relic or the base uh framework is really simple but then like this like asymmetrical nature is in the abilities and each of those is kind of complex i think maybe hades imprinted on me like Every single weapon, like there's like, it's like you have one character, right? And then like this, like different weapons and every weapon plays like you're actually a different character. So um, that's kind of the way these abilities work. And like, I, I call them abilities actually in the game, we call them perks because they're ability or they're like abilities, uh, powers, companions, and uh, items, like kind of signature items are built as one of those would be something like a like a wing glider thing that uh has its own little special mechanic that like the further up you you jump from you gain a dice pool that you can spend on maneuvers as you go down so we build this tiny little subsystem that's real fun to interact with right so and then every one of those like we can we know what the base system is and then inside of this one little like uh ability we build a tiny little subsystem that's fun to interact with that doesn't really like mess with this stuff too much so i maybe i i I, if like i was thinking of relics mechanics at the same time that the hades thing was happening and now that i don't think i had realized it so much but like now thinking a lot about it like oh yeah that's maybe a lot where that came from have you um have you looked at spencer campbell's uh, slayers yet no i haven't actually so that that, add that to your list because um 
he has got a first of all um spencer's ability to embrace uh asymmetrical is amazing um he does a very good job about it he not only is unapologetic about it he's a huge uh huge fan of asymmetrical and what's interesting you talked about those subsystems it's something i thought was interesting in slayer so in slayers you've got this overall mechanic right this overall core system but every playbook has its own mini mechanic um that like literally the dice do different things than they do so if you play playbook a is that the one where like each each class playbook is based on a different die not a different die Uh, no no, but 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 the things work mechanically different so when you play the gunslinger there's a whole little mini game that you're playing in the way that you're managing resources and the way you do damage and things and then if you play the hunter Mm -hmm. you've got something else and so something for you to look at because when you're talking about relic yeah yeah. like that that's something something to check out yeah that's been kind of on my radar that game like i as soon as you said it like like i know the game and the logo is really great logo because like it like is imprinted in my mind the exactly. players with the line through it it's like real good yeah it's so subtle but like uh, i don't know that that's whoever designed the logo for that game was great but yeah spencer's nah, a real cool dude and clever mm-hmm. um so i think you'll enjoy it yeah, all right so yeah, uh, real quick i want to talk about what's next i want to talk about relic so let's talk to people about relic what stage is relic in and where is relic headed uh cool um we kickstarted relic pretty early in the process and uh i guess i'll I'll be kind of honest about this and um i i think i don't i don't really think this is something i've talked about a whole lot uh maybe i'm just more comfortable talking about it now with a pretty successful kickstarter running in my immediate financial future more more stable uh but um around the end of last year uh like I was running an English school and actually coronavirus torpedoed the Eng- the English as a second language industry here. So because people aren't going abroad and people aren't coming in, they don't need it as much. And like people aren't spending their money as much either. It's like tighter. It doesn't really matter. But like so like my rather successful business was like slowly kind of doing this thing. And I had to like make these and I was really enjoying uh, making wicked ones and it was successful and stuff. And I was like, what should I be doing in the future? I can't do two things like I I really can't do both of these because that. I, I was and I have a family and I was like doing both of those and the family and it was like crazy right so I was like okay I got to make like a big choice right but and like Relic was cooking and we had already decided that that was the next game that like Cass and I thought that would be fun it's it's inspired by Shadow of the Colossus uh, that's just the easy touchstone but also it's a mix of that Princess Mononoke Ghibli movies Breath of the Wild Exploration Hex Crawls um like so like had this idea for that we 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 made this game where we were cooped up in the dungeon for, for so long right and i've been in that fiction way too long i wanted to get out there and adventuring and make make, yeah. make make that uh so but anyway that was like cooking and then we had base mechanics for it we knew that we were taking wicked ones and like uh if like wicked ones is so different than fortune of the dark that the label barely applies <laughs> it applies but it can be a little bit misleading and it's not that i want to abandon the label but i think calling relic forged in the dark is a lie or something right or it will actually make people angry and this is like uh i remember uh john harper kind of uh posted at some point that it, there's the big thing like bl- is blades inspired by pbta and whatever and he's like it is pbta what are you talking about it's a pbta game and then so now you have this like weird line where it's like wicked ones is forged in the dark which also means it's pbta 
right? Like, so, and then, like, then my next game is, like, okay, so Relic is the, like, Forge in the Dark 1.5 or branch of Wicked Ones, which is Forge in the Dark, which is PBDA. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, okay, so, all right, that was, like, cooking, and we'd started the art and stuff, and um, probably more ideally, I think we would have kickstarted in January, of uh or february actually february because january is a terrible month for kickstarter but february would have probably been the target right and ha- give it a little more time to cook and like uh, have the system more solid to present to people but at the end of last year i was like i need to make a decision and like are people going to be interested enough in relic to pay for the next year of my life to like transition into this so um yeah, like we kind of pushed it out there and stuff and, uh, and and people backed it and that was cool. And then they gave us the opportunity to make it and it made me more comfortable shutting down my previous business and just making like a, a kind of smooth exit from the industry, uh, transitioning into working at home. And uh, I spent a lot more time with my family, which is mentally healthy for me, which is great. Uh, and um, like something that like uh, I, I've been pretty open about communicating this though is that um during the relic kickstarter uh there was no like playtest kit or anything right it was just concepts and you, you know like you know i it kind of sucks what kickstarters become because it's not kickstarting new stuff at all it's like hyping already finished or like basically finished products and it's like a way to generate profit and that's cool it's cool that that money's flowing in the uh it's industry. a pre-order but you it yeah and it's like at almost like the end of that cycle or something like you got to be like deep in that cycle to bring it to kickstarter and then uh being able to like show people like almost finished stuff because people have been burned so many times too on Kickstarter. Right. So they, they need like lots of proof now and whatever, like not, not always sometimes like a basic concept can grab people, but they like need proof. So like halfway through our Kickstarter, it was like underperforming what I thought kind of expected. And I was just like, I think people need to see the rules. And I was like, I've been hinting at the rules and kind of explaining them. But I was like, I think I got to bite the bullet on this one and just show them what the rules mm-hmm. are now. And I knew the rules now aren't what they're going to be at the end like i made that mistake with wicked ones like showing like like too much of the stuff that changed later and then people ask why like that and i was like i'm not too sure if i want people like playtesting this right now like i want to kind of show them so what i made was a playtest kit and anyone could go find that i think it's still out there on drive rpg i think it's up but uh and i talk about that point even inside of it that this is less of a play test and more of a proof of concept and uh like we're gonna iterate because that's what we do we play test and iterate like i love that process and things are gonna change a lot right but uh yeah so that's um so that's kind of what happened with relic is that uh the thing that was initially put out has changed quite a bit like the, the it's it's like the same fundamental gameplay goals but like the actual mechanics have changed and moved even further away from what wicked ones was right yeah uh, uh, like now i'm very comfortable saying it's not forged in the dark i i it it, it shares the dice pool I, like it shares the 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 d6 dice pool that maps to three or four results right and that's that's the main thing that it that it shares um but we're kind of at the point now with relic where like we've i think like we've mostly nailed the base system it's rather solid and there's going to be like a little bit of tinkering with it and now we're getting to uh um 
pivot over to the asymmetrical design part, which we've been salivating over for like eight months. Like we, we've been like playtesting these same three boring characters that have two abilities each forever. Yeah. And like just to grind away at that core mechanic, you know, and uh, uh, like make sure it was solid before we actually got into designing based off of it. Right. So, yeah, that's kind of where Relic's at right now. Like it's it's it, it's at this point where I, I'm I'm like wanting to show people like after we get these like. <laughs> Yeah, because I think it's cool. I think the base system is what it is going to be, you know? So um, I, I have a plan uh, some, sometime soon-ish. And this is actually to a little bit uh, um, make sure that the Relic backers feel comfortable. We're running this Kickstarter while that one's happening. But Wicked One's already finished. And it takes a little bit of my time, but not a lot of my time. And uh, uh, it creates financial stabi- stability for us, of course. But it also allows us to do like a test run of the printing process. And we have our fulfillment contract and we're entering long-term wholesale distribution and we're becoming a publisher, right? Like we weren't before. And like now that's happening and it's really exciting. And that's the benefit for Relic. Relic's rollout's going to be smooth. We're going to hit all those problems this time. So now, now I'm discouraging you from backing our Kickstarter. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but, like, like that that stuff's going to come up now, and I get to solve it now, so that next time things are going to be smoother. But I do want to give like relic, like the relic backers, like a look at what we've been doing, and like talk about the mechanics and talk about like the point that the game's at. So that's coming really soon in an update there, where I'll post the character sheet, the Google Sheets prototype version of the character sheet, and then say I'm I'm not going to write a playtest kit now because it's like a waste of time. So, but I'm going to talk about like here's what all these mechanics mechanics are doing and here's where the game is heading and here's why I think it's cinematic and whatever. So, uh, and unfortunately during the break, uh, Ben made the mistake of saying he would come back to talk about relics. So as, as soon as we get that thing out of the oven, um, and we're ready to cut into it, we're going to have Ben come back on and we're going to really spend some time diving into it because I, I poked at it a little bit and it was very interesting, very interesting. And so far from, Forged in the dark that I was not surprised, uh, Ben, that you said that. So, Ben, obviously, we're going to have everything we've talked about linked below. Everybody can scroll down. They can get there. It's going to take you to your Kickstarter. Kickstarter ends when? Uh, It'll be August 30th, I guess, 9 a.m. Eastern time at the end of August. There will be a uh, late backer uh, page where you can hop in, but um, through backer kit. But it's going to be really short because the game's done. Everything's done. Our deadline is the end of August to make the changes that we we still want to make. And then as soon as the money comes through, we're pushing the print button, you know, so like it's going to go to the printer printed fulfillment center, and it should be on your doorstep in mid December. If you need a Christmas present, it's pretty good. Like, I mean, I'm not making, I like, I don't want to over, like, actually, like I I was thinking earlier, I was like, you know, this might be kind of cool promo to be like, Hey, if you need a cool Christmas present or whatever, but this is our first time, so it might be January. And you don't want to say stuff yeah, like that out loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like just disappointing people. They're like, I got this yeah. for Christmas, but like here it is in February, like because the it's printer March. had problems or whatever. So like, yeah, you don't want to promise things like that and disappoint people at but, Christmas. But, 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 but what, the, the key here, and, I, and I've talked about this a few times with other people, there's certain things that are under your control and certain things that aren't, right? Paper availability, not under your control. How many, how many back the backlog of your printer, not under your control. What is under your control is the game is done. 
and and that's huge right so n- what you have done you have finished with and now we're going to to a certain degree leave it up to fates and we'll you know we'll see what happens but any dragging from here on in is not because you can't figure out whether it should have a period or question mark at the end of the title so and, like you also um, choose your partners in that way like like i like i decided not to like um i use print ninja and um like maybe many are kind of familiar with that they're they're a little bit big in uh uh with the tabletop RPG design community, just people know of them. And they're sort of like the, the, the front end for a manufacturer, right? And um, instead of going directly to manufacturers, like the, the easiest, cheapest way to, to print a book is to go on like Alibaba and find a manufacturer somewhere and uh, using their most likely China, but there's manufacturers all over the world there. But like you find a manufacturer and you go direct to them. And I think that like uh, that feels risky, you know, like you don't know them. They don't have it like, I mean, they have a reputation maybe, but um, your communication is not going to be that great. Like having uh, the the Print Ninja office there to kind of liaison for us to them is worth the extra that we pay them to do that, uh, to smooth things over. Our fulfillment center that we ended up going with, they have a long history in fulfilling board games and wholesale distribution. So they're going to do our fulfillment. Then they're going to stock our stuff and market to retailers for us and allow us to sell our stuff online on our website so like That's you can great. get and then this kickstarter is very clearly doing nicely like it's like kind of hitting our goal ish in our minds it was like man if we like approach like 100k with this thing like we'd be able to print a lot of books and have them there for kind of a long time it's gonna bust way through that right like that's That's exciting yeah and that's also like why we've got like awesome like flexibility to make cool stretch goals and stuff so i didn't like and it's so self-indulgent like uh we got like seven guest artists coming on and they're all people that i really like and like they're they're (laughs) cool and like i'm gonna highlight each of them it's gonna be awesome because i'm like a map geek like i love getting these maps and like having all these different people draw cool maps it's gonna be great so yeah that that, like kind of gives us a um uh, whatever, like a little flexibility to do that. But like, it's clear now that we're going to like overprint a lot. And I think people like Wicked Ones and it's going to be f- on sale for a long time. And like, these are great partners. So this was the part that's like scary for me to like, I, I'm not there and I don't know about these industries, but like being able to like have these two uh, kind of partners to like throw my questions at and get like really solid answers has made me feel, feel a lot more comfortable. That's cool. That's cool. Well, Ben, I can't thank you enough, man. This was an absolute blast. And I yeah, appreciate you making yeah, the time. Yeah, it's been really fun to talk. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, I, I, I think we could continue this for like four hours. Oh, there's no so. question. Absolutely. No question. Yeah. This is not your last time on the show, unfortunately <laughs> yeah, for you. Please. Um, and, uh, as I know, always do, um, you, you listened all the way to the end, like we're done and you've been here the whole time. So I want you to know, I appreciate you as well. Take care. episode subscribe to tabletop talk and share it with your friends check out our content on youtube and twitch follow us on twitter and facebook and stay updated on everything coming from third floor all the links are in the show notes take care floorheads I want to talk briefly about Dead Awakening. Um, um, Undead, Undead Awakening. Undead Awakening. God damn it, I did it. I warned you. So I knew I want, it was going to happen. I know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I thought I fixed it in every spot, and I didn't. 
I mean, like to be honest, like actually it is dead awakening because the dead are awakening <laughs> and they're becoming undead. So maybe I'm going may, to come back into it. You you pointed out like a flaw in yeah. our name. So. Yeah, yeah, the, I, that's a problem, and I know how to fix it. Um, all right, let me try it again. So thinking about undead awakening. Um, well, boy, we had a terrible time just talking, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, pretty pretty easy. Like I like like I was saying, like I always I always just like kind of kind of this free form talking or whatever, Good. and then and then like you were you you were like just let it go and I'll bring you back and like that. And I was yep. like, yeah, I'm gonna do that no matter what you do. Like, yeah, like, it's, I I don't think I could be controlled. I don't know. Like I I, I will ramble on and go on. Yeah, no, it's great. It, it was changed nothing, my friend. It was a great first yeah. segment. All right, I'll bring us back. So I I'm think also, I think I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, no, go uh, ahead. Yeah, like I'll, I'll let you start again. I'm also like I'm also like happy that I got to like soft promo my church mice idea. Like that one's still oh, baking. Yeah. Like that's like the strong one in my mind that's kind of baking. It's like that's gonna happen someday. <laughs> <laughs> like I need I need to like warm up my community for that. Like get, get people start talking about that or something. That's right. That's a cool <laughs> idea, man. It's yeah. a cool idea. Um, all right. I'm trying to think of how I want to start. All right, so being conscious of time, yeah, what I'm going to do... Was, I was just going to mention it. Like, I, it's it, it's my morning. Like, it's like 10.30 a.m., and I'm free until 4 p.m. to do design work. Like, it, it's your time that's the limit, I think. And yeah, I we're, we're kicking ass. forever. Like, yeah, I, we're <laughs> kicking ass. So there's a couple things. One, I want to kind of, kind of move into... I want to talk about Relic when we talk about what's next. Mm -hmm. I want to... People really enjoy the Stuff You Love segment, so I want to do that with you. Um, and then I want you to come back and we'll, let's do a deep dive on Relic. Okay, cool. Yep. Does that work for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I mean, okay. you, you said this as well, that like you would like rein me in, and I it's good because yep. like I will just go forever. Like it's This has been great, man. Yeah. This has been great. It's been a great interview. I'm super cool. excited yeah, about cool. it. All right. So I'll bring us back. Are you still here? Wow. Um, well, the episode is over, but if you're bored, why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down. Scroll down and, yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon Discord? Anyway... Thanks for sticking around. Take care.